This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You know, protein is this topic that raises a lot of emotions, and understandably so, because protein has been linked for the most part of our times to animal protein. And a lot of folks on the vegan community think, oh, protein is not important because they almost think that animal protein is not important. However, this is a big mistake. Welcome to Wellness, Fact versus Fiction. I'm Dr. Danielle Bellardo, and I'm a cardiologist who loves evidence-based medicine and nutrition science. But as a millennial, I've watched endless wellness fads take over social media. It's my mission to get to the bottom of things by bringing on the top expert physicians and scientists to help us determine what is fact versus fiction when it comes to your health. It's time to leave the pseudoscience behind and become empowered when it comes to our wellness. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Wellness Fact versus Fiction. And I am thrilled today to bring you my very good friend, the brilliant Dr. Mauricio Gonzalez. He is an internal medicine, emergency medicine physician in New York, and he is a trusted source of medical information. So Dr. Gonzalez has been dubbed the Latin Fauci, doing national TV interviews and leveraging the power of social media to debunk myths and share facts related to all things science. He does such a fantastic job on his Instagram. We'll surely link to it in our show notes. He is an amazing, passionate, inspiring, and motivating educator about healthy lifestyle, including exercise, nutrition. And he really just has done a fantastic job with scientific communication on social media with a very reasonable and evidence-based approach when it comes to diet and lifestyle. And so today I wanted to talk to Dr. Mauricio about a topic that doesn't get a lot of airtime in the plant-based community, but that's really important. And just to preface that this talk is not going to be just about plant-based nutrition by any means. This talk is going to be about protein specifically. And in addition to talking about protein, we're also going to talk about strength exercising, strength training, the importance of different kinds of protein intake for strength training, muscle building, uh, important things to prevent you know, fracture risk as we age. And the reason why I wanted to point out that this doesn't get a lot of airtime in the plant-based community is because it doesn't. We've kind of just been over time, just been told, you know, a million times, I think, by various different people in the plant-based community, oh, you don't need to worry about your protein intake and you don't need to worry about whether or not you're getting enough protein. And that's just not accurate. And so it doesn't matter if you are a plant-based eater, you are an omnivore, anywhere on the dietary spectrum, this episode will be incredibly educational and informative and helpful for you. And I'm so excited to get into it. So, hey, Dr. Mauricio. Dr. Bellardo, such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for that kind intro. And yeah, we're going to talk deep about protein. I'm so excited. And it's uh, so just like myself, um, Mauricio and I are both vegan, but I like to say that we consider ourselves very almost dietary agnostic vegans because we both acknowledge that fatty fish in the literature, undeniably healthy. We're both vegans for ethical reasons for both animals and the environment, but we are certainly both able to appreciate in the scientific literature that an omnivorous diet that's uh, filled with fruits, vegetables, legumes, but includes, you know, lean protein or fish is incredibly healthful. And you can also have a healthful, obviously well-planned plant-based diet. And so I love talking to Mauricio about all things nutrition science, especially when it comes to protein and strength training, uh, because these are two areas that really just have been led to a lot of confusion. And I think over time, some harm. So Mauricio, let's get into it. What do you think? You know, protein is this topic that raises a lot of emotions and understandably so, because protein has been linked for the most part of our times to animal protein. And 
a lot of folks on the vegan community think, oh, protein is not important because they almost think that animal protein is not important. However, this is a big mistake. Protein is definitely important. It, it is by no means that the most important micronutrient and is not something that we should take to the next level. It's just something that we have to understand. It's a very important part of our diet. And despite all these widespread beliefs that protein is not important, big, big mistake. Not only that, we so most of these misunderstandings come from mechanistic studies showing that high protein ca causes cancer in rats, you yep. know, under like very, very unique um, scenarios that do not by any means apply to, you know, human health. We have plenty of data showing that when you take into consideration your protein intake, you have multiple health benefits, such as increasing muscle mass. Uh, there's this very interesting uh, data showing, probably I'm not too sold, but it's very interesting um, showing higher satiety. So yeah, and most recently, I think protein has to be taken into account for vegans who want to take care of their bone health. So, you know, pretty important topic and let's get into it. Let's get into it. Okay. So just to start off with what even is protein is for, for anyone listening, you may, when we say the word protein, you may just have in your head, like the idea of a steak or the idea of just meat, but protein, what it really is, it's just a naturally occurring, extremely complex substance that it just consists of amino acid residues joined by peptide bonds. And proteins are present in all living organisms. Many essential biological compounds, such as enzymes, hormones, antibodies. Protein is, of course, a super important part of our diet, our overall healthy dietary pattern. And there's going to be a lot of instances and special cases that we're going to discuss where people should be paying more attention to protein. And that does include people who are um, fully plant-based. Although I will say that I think everyone should be focusing, especially women, we should be focusing on um, getting enough protein. And we can also clear up the misconception that you can only get protein from, uh, you know, from animals, because we both know that there's plenty of healthful protein options that come from plants. And so even if you're, as I mentioned before, an omnivore listening to this, this may even give you some ideas to just incorporate some more plant-based proteins into your diet as well. Okay, well, starting with the RDA, can you just first explain what the RDA is for anyone that's listening that's like doesn't even know what that stands for and kind of explain what the RDA is for protein and what your thoughts are about that for protein intake? Right. No, excellent way to start. So RDA stands for recommended daily allowance. So basically is a suggestion based on science that tells you how much of a particular nutrient you have to take per day. And historically for protein has been 0 0.8, right? So wherever you go, you'll, you, you'll see, you'll read these 0 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day, right? But it is very, very useful to understand where does this number come from? And you'll see that very early on, 1970s, we had these studies called nitrogen studies. And these nitrogen studies are quite interesting because they required people, subjects, to eat these very experimental diets for many days, even weeks, and before measurements are taken. And so what happens is the body, Danny, takes a lot of time to adapt to these low protein diets. So they downregulate processes that are not necessary for, you know, for things like survival, you know, but they're necessary for optimal health. So what happens is, yes, you get this figure, 0 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight as the minimal requirement, right, to prevent malnutrition. Unfortunately, minimal does not equal ideal. And, and nowadays we have better methods to, you know, really, really understand how much protein we take. And one of these newer 
methods is the indicator amino acid oxidation technique. And this overcomes a lot of the problems with nitrogen balance studies. And it basically allows for assessment over a 24-hour period. And this is phenomenal because it does not leave the body enough time to adapt. So you really get to understand, to know how much protein is needed. And based on these studies with this technique, you know, we know now that uh, 1.2 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight might be more appropriate as an RDA, at least for healthy young men, older men, and older women. And if you do the math, you'll see that this is a 50% bump. So it's huge. That is huge. And, you know, it's really important because especially as we get into, and you're going to describe a lot of the recommendations for, we both know that building lean mass and strength training is incredibly important for overall health and mortality and preventing fracture risk as we age. And we know that protein in and of itself, uh, you know, is not going to help you build lean muscle mass as much as this protein in conjunction with, of course, uh, strength training and um, activity. But important to note that you know, that there are certain times in uh, in life where that requirement may be elevated and that we should be reconsidering what the lowest amount of protein is. And this idea that a high protein is dangerous um, based on these mechanistic studies, as you mentioned, is more harmful than helpful. So starting with even just with the RDA. So the original RDA was 0.8 grams per kilogram body weight. So I'm going to use, let's use me as an example. Let's ca- let's calculate out. So if I was doing the RDA for protein for me, so I weigh 122 pounds and I'm 5'6". So the RDA protein for me would be... So 55 times 0.8 equals 44 grams of protein. So 44. <laughs> so for my... For my body, so I'm 5'6", 122 pounds, the RDA is saying I only need 44 grams of protein daily, which seems abysmal. That seems so minimal. But if I was doing the recommended, say, uh, like as we're going to discuss, the data suggests a higher amount, at least a minimum of one gram per kilogram per body weight. But ideally, if you're strength training even higher. So if we did 1.2, how much protein would that be for me a day? 66 grams. And that's on the lower spectrum of the recommended um, intakes for increasing muscle mass, which is, as we're going to get into it, we'll see that uh, a better number is between 1.2 and 1.6, 1.8, right? So you can go as high as 90, 95. And this is actually relevant for me because I, a small tangent here, but I have historically known to be someone who loves cardio so much and I hate strength training. And then I did Jordan Syatt's podcast. He's wonderful. He's going to come on my podcast too. Um, he's fantastic, expert in all things, physical activity, training, et cetera. And, you know, he just convinced me. He was like, listen, you just have to accept that if you hate it, just practice acceptance and say, I'm going to make myself go twice a week, even if I hate it, and just keep going. And since he said that, which was three months ago, I've done that invested in a personal trainer and I've been doing strength training twice a week. I still hate it. Literally. I hate it. Every time I go, I just don't enjoy strength training, but I am so happy that I'm doing it because the data on strength training is just, it's just unbelievable. You can't read the research on this and not recognize the importance of adding this into your routine for your health. So having adequate protein intake while you're trying to build muscle is important. And so can you describe what we know about for f- people that are physically active, what their protein intake is and what the recommendations are from the society guidelines? Yes, absolutely. But before we we move on, absolutely. Like resistance training data is just overwhelming. You know, it's another world of prevention. Like we have data you know, randomized control trials in older diabetic males that start doing resistance training twice per week. And after six months, you know, they reduce close to 35%, you know, visceral adiposity. Wow. And they increase their muscle mass. I mean, that's quality years added to your life. So quality. I love that you said that because it's not just quantity, it is quality. 
it, it is most definitely quality. And, you know, to be honest, when you actually read the fine line on the data and the research behind strength training, you see that it's very possible. We don't know that for a fact, but it is very possible that resistance training is actually better for your brain than just cardio, or at least, at the very least, just a mixture between cardio and resistance training. And super important for preventing sarcopenia and fracture risk. That's a great point. And let's let's touch that topic briefly. You know, yes. when you think about 20 years old people, you think muscular, healthy, but we have excellent data, you know, from surveys in United States showing that males above 50 years of age, there's a 40% incidence of class one sarcopenia. Wow. wow. And if you go to 20-year-olds, there's a 10% incidence of sarcopenia, of wow. class you, one sarcopenia. Can you explain what sarcopenia is for anyone listening? Right. So it's basically a suboptimal amount of muscle mass. That's what it is, which leads to sarcopenia is one of the biggest um, threats to public health that we have in the modern world. Like a lot of people suffer from that. We we don't see that as as a society, but we doctors see it in the hospital, you know, in, in your older years. And um, so if you start from there, then you have to understand that you have to do everything it takes to maximize your muscle mass, no matter where you are, no matter what your age is. So if we start from there, we start to see the importance of, of proper protein intake and resistance training. As you mentioned, it's quality of life that matters so much too. It's not just quantity. And so much when we talk about nutrition and when we talk about diet and lifestyle, you know, often so much of it is focused on things like BMI and fat mass, et cetera. And in reality, this is such a huge portion that that needs to be addressed and discussed because this is actually something that is even weight neutral that doesn't require an individual to have to lose, a, you know, a bunch of weight or go on some crazy diet to really improve their health by getting adequate protein intake and doing strength training and resistance training. These are wheat neutral lifestyle changes that people can make at any range of BMI. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Nowadays, we have these amazing data using even MRIs showing that let's say females with overweight with a BMI of 27, 28, they start doing resistance training. And even though they don't lose weight, when you do follow DEXA scans or an MRIs, you see that the visceral adiposity has changed sometimes up to 40%, which is like huge. You know, it's like Amazing. you have a completely different body composition. So that's why it's very important as you know, medical providers that when you see patients that are young, uh, most of the time females that they, they, they tend to get fixated in losing weight. Which 100%. Is like, um, and if their BMI is slightly elevated, in, uh, this has changed my practice completely. Instead right. of focusing on reducing calories, we increase the quality of diet. We increase protein to 1.2, 1.8, and we start doing resistance training. And this gives you way better outcomes. And not only that, you stop this vicious cycle of yo-yo dieting where they, if they don't do anything about it, they go on for years trying to lose weight on and off. And that might end down the road to sarcopenia. I agree. And I think that um, also it's really important to note that, you know, there may be this automatic assumption that thin equals healthy. <laughs> and it is just so not true. Of course, someone who is thin may be healthy, but uh, you could also be thin and have very little muscle mass and be doing, you know, zero strength training, be a very high fracture risk. And so, you know, I, on the outside, before I started strength training three months ago, you know, I'm still physically active and doing cardio and do running and all these things. But when I first stepped into the gym with the trainer, I was looking at people that on the outside look heavier than me. And I'm thinking in my head on the inside, 
they are so strong and they are so, you know, their muscle mass is clearly like far exceeds mine. And, you know, it just goes to show that BMI, you know, it can be helpful for certain things in certain, of course, cases. And we do have, you know, data on its helpfulness in certain scenarios, but it is not the be all end all. And just the way someone looks on the outside with regards to thinness does not mean healthfulness necessarily on the inside. So I do think I agree with you. I think the shift of, you know, focus of health needs to be more holistic and less just about getting to a low BMI and getting thin. Absolutely. And I think this is where protein makes a huge entrance. Like, for instance, we have a, a very nice, nicely done randomized control trial where they took healthy males uh, between 20 and I think 35 years of age, uh, all healthy, you know, uh, non-athletes, and they place them in three different types of diet. A low protein diet, which was like 0.7 grams per kilogram of body weight, a normal protein um, intake diet, which was 1.8 grams per kilogram of body weight, and a high protein intake diet, which was like 3.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. And what happened is that after three months, they did these uh, frequent DEXA scans and they show, oh, not only that, I was forgetting something very important. All of these subjects, they ate 40% more calories than needed. Mm -hmm. So this was definitely a hypercaloric diet. And the only thing that changed was the ratio of protein intake. And after 12 weeks was like, very illuminating what happened. All the groups in the high protein and the normal protein diet, they they all gained weight, of course, but they didn't lose muscle mass. And they actually gained a little bit, close to 2.5 kilos of muscle mass. What happened to the low protein diet despite eating 40% more calories than needed? They all, most of them, lost muscle mass. Wow. Not a huge amount, I would say anywhere between 0.27 and 0.7 kilos, right? Which is, doesn't seem like a lot, but it goes to show that this whole eat as much as you can, don't worry about protein, you'll be fine, is utter nonsense. So, and this is coming from a very good design, a very good trial design. That's really important. So... Getting back to some of the guideline recommendations from the American College of Sports Medicine, the American Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, can you oh, yeah. kind of go through those recommendations for, for protein intake? Absolutely. I mean, you and I, we always, you know, we, we always discuss guidelines in terms of medications. And it is extremely uncommon to see three, four, five different organizations agreeing in something, right? They all have different recommendations for hypertension, statins, and all that stuff. Right now, across the board, between the American College of Sports Medicine, the Academy of Nutrition Dietetics, and the Dietitians of Canada, which are three of the largest organizations in terms of um, nutrition, they all recommend anywhere between 1.2 to 2 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight to optimize recovery from training and to promote growth. And also the International Society of Sports Nutrition. So they all recommend the same which is between 1.2 and 2 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. Perfect. So how does this interplay into strength training? Then, So when someone's doing resistance training, you know, how do they kind of coordinate both increasing their protein intake? Say if someone listening is thinking, okay, I want to lose weight, but I also want to gain muscle and, you know, increase my uh, strength and do it in a healthful way. Right. Um, yeah, what, what are some tips for, for kind of being able to do both simultaneously? Like you mentioned that really interesting study about um, visceral adiposity as well. My practical recommendation is as follows. Um, let's say that you don't want to lose fat, you just want to gain muscle. So I would focus on high quality diet, plus, I don't know, 1.5, 1.6 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. And that should be completely fine, you know? However, if you have someone who's overweight, they're going to do a hypocaloric diet and they want to increase their muscle mass, definitely you have to go higher in protein, okay? I mean, 
you know, as always, the data is not 100% clear, but it's highly suggestive that if we eat more protein during a hypocaloric deficit, we should retain the muscle mass we have and maybe perhaps uh, gain some. So what I do with my patients when they want to lose fat and they want to increase their muscle mass, I actually increase the protein intake uh, up to two, two grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. You know, suffice to say that some people go even higher. I've never done it because I found it a little bit impractical, especially for plant-based people. But I think two grams is completely doable. Absolutely. Let's actually discuss some of the, uh, you know, myths about plant proteins that come actually from, a lot of them come from the plant-based community, (laughs) Uh, but also, you know, from all over the place. So do vegans need to carefully choose their protein sources? Yes, yes, yes. Three yeses in a row. You know, these whole nonsense that don't worry, eat pasta, potatoes, rice, and you'll be perfectly fine. That's just nonsense. I mean, that belongs to the bin. (laughs) First of all, as I said, a lot of the data that I apply to plant-based people, myself included, is coming from all these societies that, you know, have all these practical guidelines. And the most important thing to remember is that First, you have to come up with your number. What's your protein intake number? In my case, I tend to eat anywhere between 120 to 140 grams per day. And what I do is I basically divide that whole amount into three or four meals, right? That's it. That's what people that are listening to this podcast, they should know. Come up with your number and divide that number by three or four meals. That's it. That's step one. Second step, especially for vegans, is you have to choose highly concentrated sources of protein, right? And my best recommendations are seitan, TVP, tofu, tempeh, and well, just egg, because I love just egg. (laughs) And there's also also the possibility of using protein powders, which is completely fine. It's a highly convenient way to get more protein. So and nowadays, demonized, unnecessarily so demonized by, by so many people in this naturalistic fallacy community, demonized protein powders, and they can be such a phenomenal, phenomenal way to complement your diet. Absolutely. And nowadays we have like great products, products that are not high in, you know, junk things and they're not high in sodium and, and things like that. Like we're, we're truly spoiled nowadays in terms of, plant-based product, but they're highly convenient and I highly recommend them. You know, if you take, let's say 30 to 40 grams of protein powder, just one or let's say two times per day, which a lot of people do and which is like kind of normal, that's almost 80 grams. You know, that's 80 grams of protein just there in two shakes. Like how convenient is that? So, And if, and if you add Leafy greens and berries and almond butter. I mean, it's a complete meal. Can you clarify some of the um, confusion about amino acid composition in animal proteins versus plant proteins? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways to discuss this topic. And I've noticed over the years that some folks nevertheless get confused. So what I'm going to say is this. Like all these foods, animal foods and plant-based foods, they all have um, a ratio of non-essential amino acids and essential amino acids. And essential amino acids are the ones that we require to eat from food sources because our bodies cannot make them. And non-essential amino acids is, you know, these amino acids that we can actually create on our own and we don't need them. So in general terms, animal foods have higher level of essential amino acids than plant-based foods, right? So this hurdle can be overcome by eating a little bit more protein. If the recommendation is to eat 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight of protein, for vegans, I always recommend 1.3, 1.4, because why not, right? Because plant-based foods tend to have a little bit less of essential amino acids. And it's completely okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, this is fairly simple to to apply to your life. 
And the idea of protein combining for anyone who thinks that myth still exists is totally outdated. You don't need to be eating a certain kind of protein with a certain kind of protein at your meal. It's overall dietary pattern that matters most. So you don't need to even worry about getting into that would be so complicated. And you already did mention some really great plant-based protein resources. And I, and I wanted to go back because I I have a list that I've kept too, because you mentioned some of my favorites. And this is for anyone listening. Even if you are the biggest meat eater on the planet, just try to give some of these a try, just incorporating them maybe in a few meals a week and and see how you enjoy it. But when when I'm thinking about the protein source from a plant-based perspective, some that are essentially the ones that have a more complete set of essential amino acids or higher protein quality, I, I think of Ones, of course, like you mentioned, tempeh. Tempeh is phenomenal. It's a fermented soy. Tofu, which you mentioned. You also mentioned TVP. For anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's textured vegetable protein. This is a fantastic protein source. Things like soy curls. Do you eat soy curls? Yes, I do. Fantastic. Seitan, as you mentioned. Um, And of course, beans, lupini beans, edamame, um, bean pastas, the legume pastas are just like a phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal source of protein. And, you know, most legume pastas, whether it's uh, an edamame or lentil or a chickpea pasta fall in that category. So lots of options for plant-based higher protein, because it is true that broccoli has protein, so does kale. And so that, you know, and so do raspberries, you know, all plants do have some amount of protein, but I highlight these ones that Mauricio mentioned as well, because they are ones with a more complete set of essential amino acids. And we're going to talk about something very important called leucine, because we do have a lot of really robust data on muscle building and muscle synthesis, uh, because there's a big myth and misconception out there that you cannot gain adequate muscle mass um, or strength with a plant, a fully plant-based diet. And this ties back to leucine. So what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, my first thought is a lot of people in the, in the vegan community, they think, oh, but beans, they're high in protein and veggies, they have protein. And it's true, you know? But they also have a high fiber content. Which, 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 Mauricio, don't come at me for the fiber, okay? On this podcast, <laughs> all I do <laughs> is tell everyone to eat fiber. No, me and Mauricio laugh about this because Mauricio, you're actually a great example of this. I eat 90 grams of fiber a day. <laughs> can't tolerate that. So Mauricio's telling Yeah, so it's so funny because you, I, this is why it's so individualized. I mean, I listen, as a cardiologist, when my patients are trying to reduce their lipids, I do always try to emphasize going up in the fiber as tolerated. But like, you know, you mentioned you eat how much fiber would you say a day? I would say between 38 to 50 grams per day, which I, I feel pretty okay with that. But if if I go above 60, oof. Yeah, I have most of my patients target for 60 slowly. But mm-hmm. um, I will say that I think that's, this is an important point you're discussing because if you just believe that, oh, I'll just get enough protein through a whole food plant-based diet using this naturalistic fallacy that you couldn't possibly use protein powders, or you couldn't possibly eat any of these other kinds of products, then you're going to be eating an incredibly high fiber diet, which not everyone tolerates 90 grams of fiber a day like I do. Uh, Absolutely. And then you have guys that are like, you know, 6'2", they eat 2,800 calories per day, would they get enough protein by eating whole foods? Yeah, they might because they're eating a lot. But what about someone who's eating like a thousand calories per day or twelve hundred calories per day? Will will they be eating enough protein? I don't think so. Right. So you're exactly right. I think fiber is incredibly helpful. It's just that some people do not tolerate high amounts. And we should take that into consideration. Absolutely. And balance that knowing that your protein sources can come from variable, you know, resources, including, of course, if you're an omnivore listening, of course, there's so many uh, wonderful protein sources in, you know, fish, of course, that are super healthy, fatty fish, oily fish, and then um, lean proteins. But from a plant-based perspective, there's lower, lower fiber, high protein, you know, sources like tofu. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And Satan, you know, and Satan has 
has been shown to increase muscle protein synthesis if you eat high enough amounts, like 60 grams per meal. Okay, leucine. Leucine yeah. is a very interesting amino acid. Why? Because by itself, at least with the data that we have so far, can initiate, turn on the muscle protein synthesis machinery, which I find it fascinating. It, it is truly fascinating. Yeah. It, it is truly fascinating how we've been able to do this research and come to understand how something as important as muscle mass can be increased. Now, unfortunately, some plant-based food sources, they have lower content of leucine. However, that shouldn't be a problem. We have data from a study that measure the amount of muscle mass increase using either pea protein or rice protein versus whey protein. And what these researchers did is that they basically equalized the level of leucine in each diet. So once you equalize the level of leucine in, in your diet, like once you have a pea protein shake that has at least three, 3.5 grams of leucine, that alone can turn on the muscle protein synthesis machinery. It doesn't really matter <laughs> whether it's plant-based or animal-based. It doesn't really matter. What matters is the amount. And now there's some interesting trials Stuart Phillips have, has mentioned this multiple times where uh, older folks that do not have a lot of appetite, they're getting supplemented with leucine and they're seeing some very you know, decent results showing that they don't lose muscle mass and sometimes they gain a little bit. So I think the future in terms of bioengineering would be to add leucine, more leucine to plant, you know, plant-based food sources. I agree. I totally agree. Some interesting um, RCTs I wanted to bring up, and we'll post these on our Instagram journal club, some of my favorites. So this is an RCT. I'm sure Mauricio has read and memorized all of these. This one's on, it's called leucine supplementation, has no further effect on training-induced muscle adaptations. And in this study, what they did was they looked at essentially, it was an RCT on leucine and muscle growth. So at 1.6 grams per kilogram per day of protein with 10 grams of leucine per day, consuming an additional 10 grams of leucine beyond this did not increase muscle growth or strength in resistance-trained individuals. And so that means that, uh, you know, one of the safe bets is that if you're eating a, a higher protein plant-based diet and getting 10 grams of leucine uh, per day at a minimum, you will have no difference in muscle building from someone who's eating animal proteins. There's another great study. This one's called a mycoprotein-based high-protein vegan diet supports equivalent daily myofibrillar protein synthesis rates compared with an isonitrogenous omnivorous diet in older adults, a randomized control trial. So this will also go up on our Instagram, our journal club Instagram. So you guys can see the citation firsthand, but this RCT was a plant protein source vegan diet. It was 3.9% leucine, and it was found to result in equivalent myofibrillar protein fractional synthesis rates. This is the medical term for muscle synthesis compared to an omnivore diet with comparable protein and leucine. And in both groups, 10 grams of leucine per day in both groups. And both groups had about 1.8 grams per kilogram of protein per day. So when you have a plant-based diet that is getting this 10 grams of leucine per day versus an omnivorous diet, same amount of muscle synthesis. So this is very important because that is a huge myth that needs to be put aside. It's, it's incredibly important. And you're absolutely right. 2.5 grams of leucine per meal seems to be the sweet spot. So that's what I said, that just come up with the whole amount of protein you require per day, divide it in four meals, and just aim to get at least 2.5 grams of leucine per meal. I that way that. you'll end up with 10 grams per day, which you should be incredibly 
good and you should increase your muscle mass with no problems. And for anyone that's listening that thinks like, oh my God, this sounds like so much math and this sounds so stressful and this sounds like really daunting. Um, I I want you to know, and I know Marisa can definitely um, attest to this, that it totally becomes second nature and super easy. Um, I've been eating a high protein plant-based diet highly influenced by Mauricio and Kevin Klatt. Um, for the last three years, I've been doing 1.6 grams per kilogram every day. And so I can't even imagine eating the RDA of 40 grams protein. I, you know, far more than double that. And to do that um, over the last three years, you know, in the beginning, I actually had to do a bit of learning even to look up like, okay, what are the best leucine sources? One of them actually is tofu and soy um, yeah. is a fantastic one. And yeah it becomes second nature. So for anyone that's listening now and thinking, oh my gosh, it sounds like a lot of math calculations and it's daunting. I promise you, it's more like front-loaded work. Once you do it in the beginning, it becomes very routine. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I agree 100%. I mean, you you struggle for two weeks, you mm -hmm. know, like reading the labels. And what I did is, I mean, this is going to be like an advertisement, but I downloaded uh, my fitness pal. Yep, guys. And... <laughs> totally. Guys, we need my fitness pal to sponsor this podcast because I am constantly telling people to download that who who are need to track things because it has so many easy things in it to, to search. Not only that, they have great recipes and they have like great advice. I mean, I, I really like it. And so what you do is you download the app you log the meals you're having, and then you can see how much protein you're getting per day. And then you start researching vegan products that are high in protein, and you'll see that it's very easy. For instance, DVP is one of my favorite sources because it's, you know, first of all, you can cook it any way you want, you know, uh, you can add any flavor you want. But if you, you know, fry it with a little bit of olive oil, onion, blah, 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 it can actually resemble bolognese. Yeah. You know, it's, yes. it's yum. It's yum. And uh, so, yeah, absolutely. You will struggle for two weeks, but then it's going to be second nature for sure. Textured vegetable protein has 37 grams of protein per 250 calories. I mean, that is phenomenal. Yeah. And Satan too. 50.6 grams of protein per 250 calories. Unbelievable yeah. for Satan. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. My only critique of Satan is that for some folks, it might be too high in sodium, like for oh. patients who are hypertensive, that, that might be something to consider. So mm -hmm. what I do, I, I ask them to kind of clean the Satan to lower the sodium content, but it's definitely a great source for like the rest of us. Super important. Okay. So now that everyone's figured out how they're going to get some of their plant-based protein resources in and how they're going to schedule out their meals throughout the day. Tell us all about why is resistance training important, Mauricio? Why did you convince me and why did Jordan Sight convince me to finally not just do cardio, but to start you? Because Mauricio has been preaching to me about resistance training. I've known him for years and he has been telling me nonstop, you have to do resistance training. And I want you to explain to everyone why it's important. So there are multiple ways we can approach this question. One of my favorites comes from Dr. Peterson's lab, which it's been groundbreaking. So basically, when you contract your muscles, you release substances to your bloodstream. And these substances are highly anti-inflammatory, and they're called myokines. And they've been shown to be very effective at counteracting normal inflammation, because people tend to see inflammation as something that happens in your body if you if you're bad, you know, if you yeah. smoke and you drink. But no, we we all go through low levels of inflammation throughout the day. It's actually fairly common. So by contracting your muscles on a regular basis, you're releasing substances that counteract this. That in itself is phenomenal. The other thing that I really like is that and to me, it was very hard to understand because we, I mean, I wasn't trained in psychology studies, right? But psychology studies have shown that strength training, especially in females, increases self-esteem. Wow. And, and I mean, that's so to me, cool. that's so, yeah, that's so cool. That's huge, right? I mean, what other interventions besides psychotherapy can increase your self-esteem? Amazing. So, and also, um, it seems like 
lower extremity resistance training uh, exercises such as squats, deadlift, are more associated with brain health for some unknown reason. We don't know. The theories are that since the legs have bigger and stronger muscles, when you train them, you create more benefits just by the sheer number of muscle fibers. Um, but no one really knows. There's other theories that say that when you train your legs, you release more brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which might you know, increase neurogenesis and all that stuff. But no one really knows. What we know is that it works, period, right? And we, we, we've shown that people have better posture and it, it is just amazing. And as I said, uh, one of the biggest reasons why I promote resistance training on my social media is, okay, you have, you have different types of fiber in your muscles. But, you know, grossly speaking, we have two that matter, type one and type two. So type one fibers are the fibers that we use for running and, you know, walking and doing our daily activities. And type two fibers are the ones that help us contract, lift, get stronger, right? So you do not lose type one fibers as you age, or you don't lose them as much because you keep walking, right? You keep doing these, you keep doing that, like daily activities. But type two fibers, you do lose them. And this has been shown multiple times. So by paying attention to resistance training, not only you maintain your type one fibers, but also your type two. And also something super cool. Let's say that you want to do squats at home with your own body weight, right? So you're doing that without any resistance added. You're mostly activating your type 1 fibers, but guess what happens as you're becoming fatigued and you keep squatting with your own body weight? You start activating type 2 fibers. So basically, resistance training, even when you don't add any weight, can actually end up activating those two types of fiber, which I find it fascinating. So when my patients hear this, every time I tell them, listen, if you don't have time to go for a walk, just do some squats until fatigue, until you're fatigued at home, until failure. That will equal a good cardio session, a good strength training session. Wow. That is, it really is fascinating. And I actually do feel like it is kind of like the wild, wild west on social media when it comes to fitness information out there. That's a useful tip because I think everyone thinks you have to go from zero to a hundred. Um, let me tell you, when I met with my trainer for the first time and I can run a zillion miles, I can hike, uh, any mountain. I, I have a pretty phenomenal cardio reserve, but let me tell you when I first, my first session with my <laughs> trainer three months ago. He was literally like, yeah, we're going to do body weight only for a while because like, <laughs> you're going to injure yourself because you don't have the form down yet. So for anyone listening that like, what is your tip for anyone listening? And I actually know I'm very aware that it is a privilege to be able to pay for a personal trainer. And for me, this was a, a monetary investment that I had to make because I had such a high learning curve because I've never done strength training before. And I know that not everyone's in that position, which is unfair. I actually really do think that this should be something that's covered even by insurance because it's so important for health and longevity. And it's not like just walking where you can go out and walk. We all know how to walk. Like you do not know how to squat properly. You do not know how to necessarily even lift weights properly and learning, you know, form and learning how to do it without hurting yourself can be really useful. But what is your advice for anyone listening to get started? And then also, what is kind of the minimum target that people should try to get in, you know, per week? Absolutely. You know, before moving on, one benefit that we tend to overlook is that, you know, these huge vitamin D trials trying to prove that vitamin D can prevent falls yeah. right, and fractures, all of them have failed, right? right? All yeah. of them. The only thing that works to prevent falls is strength training, period. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is just an amazing benefit because people don't realize how much, you know, we can increase the quality of lives of our parents and our grandparents and so on. As for resources, we're, we're very fortunate that there are multiple 
highly accessible and free resources that are evidence-based. One is the American College of Sports Medicine in their website. They have great guides. It's completely free. They have some videos as to how to properly do squats, push-ups, and whatnot. That's amazing. And one of my favorite resources is uh, this website called EX. Um, Rx, like exercise prescription. I think it's .net, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. E-X-R-X. And they have a huge library of videos on how to do the most common um, exercises. Not only that, they, they tell you how to create your own workout. Wow. They give you templates. Everything is free. And they explain to you what muscles are involved, uh, you know, it's a great resource. I use it so much. I've been using it for the last eight years nonstop, and it's completely free. So sometimes what I do is I basically copy and paste the links of the, the of the videos of the exercises that I want my patients to do. I, you know, I email them the links and that's it. And I'm like, please watch this video 10 times and then start doing these exercises, right? And so I think overall, the recommendation is that people tend, at least at the beginning, they have to focus on the large muscle groups. And you can do that by focusing on squats, push-ups, pull-ups, and launches, and things of that nature. And if you do that, you should aim for at least a complete you know, total body workout at least twice per week, twice per week not less than that. And as you progress, you can go up to three times, up to four times. And for more, you know, you know, more specialized people, you can go up to five times per week. But that would be my recommendation. As such helpful resources. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm going to add that to my patient um, after visit summaries, because that is so helpful. I did not know that existed. And that's just amazing. It's amazing that they have videos and everything. And you know what I love about this resource? You know, like some of our patients, they have gyms, right? In their buildings or, you know, they have a membership or whatever. And then they send me pictures and videos like, hey, Dr. Mauricio, these are the machines that I have. And I have absolutely no idea how to use them. I I can relate. (laughs) And this EXRX uh, website, they have pretty much all the machine exercises there in videos. So you can actually see the things that you have availability and just check this resource and know how to get it done. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Like I think that there is a huge barrier to entry for strength training me personally, because there's like an intimidation factor for cardio. I've just always done cardio and I've done triathlons. I've done marathons. I've done tons of soul cycle, outdoor riding. And then I've done Pilates, yoga, all those things. But I've always wanted to avoid the weight section of the gym. It's like super intimidating. You feel like everyone's staring at you. It's very scary, at least my perception, you know, and it's it's just overwhelming. And it's not the same as cardio. Anyone, you know, you can go outside and walk. But to do this is like, there's such a barrier to entry. So how how do you think people can reconcile that and just get started? This has been brought up, believe it or not, in many scientific articles. Wow. Um, yeah. Why? Because, and, and, and it's very logical, right? You have this 55-year-old female who, by recommendation of her physician, needs to do resistance training, right? She goes to this gym and sees all these young folks, super muscular, making weird noises, throwing the weights around. It's not the perfect scenario. It's intimidating you know, they're going to hate it. So there's a lot of recommendations flying around. One that I really like with my patients is like, I know it's intimidating. So why don't we start at home? And I always give them like resources, like resistance bands that they can buy in Amazon. Let's let's start with that. So that way you can, you know, nail the moves. You can understand how your muscles work. You can see the videos, do them at home. You can actually film yourself doing the exercises so you can see what you're doing wrong. And once you build up your confidence, your self-esteem, you you feel more prepared, then it's time to go to the gym. 
I've done that for many years. I mean, it's it doesn't work 100% of the times, but it does sometimes. And I'm, I'm quite happy with it. Well, I've been going for three months with my trainer twice a week. And I still like when I walk on the area where the weight machines are, I'm like so overwhelmed. Like it just feels like a foreign, intimidating territory. And but I think the important thing for everyone listening to know and remember is um, I forget who said it to me, but someone had mentioned to you when I started strength training, they were like, no one cares what you're doing. Like no one's actually looking at you and cares what you're actually doing. And I actually believe that I don't actually feel self-conscious at the gym because I'm very self-deprecating. So I know that I am weak and my, (laughs) well, I'm getting stronger, but I know my goal is to be able to like open pickle jars. Okay. So I'm not trying to be a bodybuilder over here, but so I'm not worried about anyone looking at me. I just think it's intimidating and scary in general. But I do think it's a really good point because really no one is looking at you. Really, everyone is focused on their own thing and doing their own thing. And it really is important to just remember that it's it's not even like how you look when you're doing exercises should should be a non-issue because people are just focused on their next activity and then their next you know move. And, and that's that. I mean, that's true. That's 100% true. But I do still believe that we should fix this. And I've thought about it multiple times. And, you know, what I would say to gym owners is like, why don't you make like a beginner section, right? Like a small area with weights where only like super amateurs can come in. So they don't feel like threatened by seeing these, you know, super muscular people you know, lifting like huge amounts of weight. That's something that might nudge some folks to go to a gym more often without feeling intimidated. That's a great, that is such a great idea. That's a great point. The other protein question people have that relates to getting involved in strength training is does the timing of when you eat it matter? I mean, not really, not really. Uh, What we know is that as long as you eat, you know, an optimal amount of protein over 24 hours, you should be completely fine. There have been some studies, like I actually read these studies from one of Stuart Phillips' review articles that show that, you know, probably eating a high-protein meal after your workout might notch a little bit your muscle protein synthesis. However, at the end of the day, what matters over weeks and months and years is how consistent you are with your training and eating good, high-quality meals throughout the day, period. You shouldn't focus too much on the timing because it might become actually a, a, a turnoff. Perfect. That is amazing advice and reasonable. Well, Mauricio, any last tips or tricks for our listeners? Yeah. I mean, I guess that the most important closing remark for me would be to change the narrative around plant-based diets. You and I, we know the extensive benefits of following a plant-based diet, you know, in terms of health, in terms of human health, planetary health. But by increasing fitness in our community, by increasing our protein intake, by motivating folks in our community to do more resistance training, we can actually take this community to the next level. We can actually bring many benefits and we don't have to fight the science and we don't have to fight these amazing organizations that tells us how to improve our athletic performance. So instead of doing things the old way, we have to move forward and we have to understand that higher than 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight is probably the best way to go and try to aim for anywhere between 1.2 grams to 1.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day. And yeah, be happy, be healthy. Perfection. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Gonzalez. Tell everyone where they can find you on Instagram and also tell everyone where they can find your wife on Instagram because there is no one on this earth that has more amazing recipes than her. And so I run, do not walk to follow uh, Mauricio's wife first before you follow him. (laughs) Absolutely. So you can find my wife on Instagram at 
M-A-Y-T-E underscore M-O-N-C-A-D-A underscore P, which is Maite Moncada. Um, and you can find me on Instagram as dr.mauriciogonzalez. And what other social media channels um, do you frequent that you want people to check you out on? Because you are quite active on Instagram. Oh, yeah. I'm everywhere. He's everywhere. <laughs> he is everywhere. He is. So I'm group. on TikTok with the same uh, handle. I'm on Facebook with the same handle. I'm on Twitter uh, with at Dr. Mauricio Gunn. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, Mauricio, it's been a pleasure. And um, tell Maite I said hi. And thank you so much for giving us the full uh, rundown on protein and strength training. It was great, Danny. Thank you for having me. It was fun. And hopefully lots of folks will get benefits out of this episode. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I would love to keep bringing you all the latest health and wellness information and misinformation to debunk. So please do me a quick favor and leave a five-star rating review and share with a friend. Make sure to leave a comment about which wellness bag you'd like debunked next and I'll get to the bottom of it. Follow me on Instagram at MD and our podcast page at Wellness Fact Versus Fiction and be sure to tune in next week.